Right, evening everybody. Our reading is fairly short, our official one, but if you feel a bit short-changed, don't worry, because we'll have a bit more of the word when I've got going a bit. So our official reading is Matthew chapter 6, um, verses 14 and 15. Because you're on this um, series going through the Sermon on the Mount, and this is where we've got to. So we've just had the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus then says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Right, just clear the decks here a bit. Time, said St. Augustine, I know what it is, so long as nobody asks me. And to be honest, when I think about forgiveness, I feel a little bit about that. You know, I feel, I, feel, I feel something similar. Of course we know what it is. But when we really start thinking about it, all sorts of questions come to mind. Does forgiving someone somehow make what they did unimportant? What if the other person isn't sorry or doesn't even realise they've offended us? Do I have to forgive and forget? Well, without hypnosis or a lobotomy, that's just not possible for some things, or even wise in some situations, and that's just forgiveness on a human scale before we even get on to questions about God. Now, I normally only look at the preaching topic a couple of weeks before I'm due on. And when I saw that my topic was forgiveness, I thought, well, here we go. This is a word from the Lord that I really need to get to grips with this. So I even went out and bought a book. Yeah. This is called Healing Agony. It's by a chap called um, Stephen Cherry. And this hints both that, that title hints both at why we forgive, healing, but also how difficult it can be to do it. Healing Agony. I, I commend it to you. It's a really interesting read. So, where should we start? I think we should start with one of the classic forgiveness scenes from the Bible. It's the end of John's Gospel. Jesus has been crucified. He has risen. He's been seen by Mary Magdalene and the disciples in Jerusalem. In the final scene of the Gospel, the disciples are back in Galilee and they're doing some night fishing. They work all night and catch nothing. But at dawn, Jesus appears on the shore and tells them to cast their nets again. They pull up a huge haul and then they realise who it is. They realise who it is. And Simon Peter, you know, one of the leading disciples, immediately jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. And when they all get to the shore, there's a charcoal fire there with fish cooking over it and bread. Now, the last time we encountered a charcoal fire in the gospel, Simon Peter was warming himself over it out in a courtyard while Jesus was being interrogated inside by the high priest shortly before he's going to be handed over to Pilate, the Roman authorities, to be executed. And while Peter was warming himself over this fire, three times somebody said, you're one of them, aren't you? You're a follower of Jesus. And three times he denied he had anything to do with Jesus. Then the cock crowed as Jesus had foretold and Luke tells us that Simon went out and wept bitterly. 
So here we are at the beach, and that scent of the charcoal fire is rising up to Peter's nostrils. Scent is so evocative, isn't it? And I imagine Peter was immediately taken back to that courtyard, just a few days or you know, not more than a couple of weeks maybe before. And this is what happened next on the beach, and Sarah's going to read to us. Thank you, Jane. So this is uh, John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he knew to him, uh, because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you to where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death which would he, uh, by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Thanks, Sarah. Let's take a moment just to let that sink in. You're Simon Peter. You know what you did. You let down the person you've lived and worked with, the person you came to believe was God's Messiah. You were afraid. And you said that you weren't his disciple, his follower, to save your own skin. You have amazingly seen him since he was executed. But all the focus then was on the astounding, almost unbelievable fact that the person you saw dead and buried is alive. He's risen from the dead, still bearing the marks of his savage execution. Now, Jesus three times asks you to affirm that you love him. He allows you to overwrite what you said before, to restore your best self. He brings you back into relationship. And leaving the past behind, he looks ahead to the future. Follow me. We're called to pattern ourselves on Jesus. So does this story of divine forgiveness tell us something about what our stories of human forgiveness could look like? Well, it's interesting first that this scene is so separate from all the emotional turmoil of Jesus' death and resurrection. In our human everyday experience, when someone's done something to hurt or offend or outrage us, there may well be a time in which forgiveness is far from our mind. Here's a trivial example for you. Many years ago, when I was at university, my mum rang up on behalf of my sister and I thought, oh, what's coming here? I had a pair of beautiful party shoes, red shoes. They were fantastic. I loved them. They were not only beautiful, they were comfortable. All the women here will know what that means. 
My mother told me my sister, without asking me, had borrowed them, worn them without tights, got blisters, bled all over them. <laughs> they were destroyed, ruined. <laughs> and in that moment, <laughs> I think many of you will understand them, the pure rage that came over me. <laughs> if in that moment my sister had said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't think I could have quite <laughs> brought myself to forgive her in that moment. I might have said, yes, I forgive you <laughs> through clenched teeth. Or I might have just about been able to say, I want to forgive you, but just not yet. <laughs> Forgiveness is not really an act of the will, by which I mean you can't really make a huge effort and will yourself to forgive someone. Forgiveness has got to grow in the heart. It can't always be instantaneous. Right, people who, who know me will know that I do love to put a bit of Greek into a sermon. Here, here it comes. There are two Greek words used for, for forgiveness in the New Testament. One of them is aphiemi. It's that first one there, aphiemi, which means to let go, to dismiss, to send away. Let it go. The other is charizomai, that second one. And that you can perhaps see in that word charis, which means grace. So it means to give, to deal graciously with, to forgive. So when we, when we forgive, we give a gift. We're a channel of God's grace. We gift forgiveness. So forgiveness is where we are able to let go of all that emotional turmoil, the anger, the grudge, and give our offender the gracious gift of our forgiveness. How on earth do we get there? Back to the beach. Jesus understood Peter. He had lived and worked with him. He knew his character. He understood the pressures and weaknesses that made Peter say, I don't know him, in that courtyard. And I think there's something there for us. If we can take some time to think about, to put ourselves in the place of the person who's hurt us, to pray for them, we can perhaps get to a place where we understand what has happened and what made them act as they did. And there may, of course, be occasions that when we're thinking through what's happened, God shows us what's happened in a completely different light. We might be the ones who need to ask for forgiveness. What's difficult, you know, about speaking on this subject is that I don't know what you may have experienced. I'm very aware that some of us may have come into contact with real evil. When all we can say is that the person who, who hurt us chose to do evil and not good. And we don't know what caused them to do this. You may be in the position of suffering ongoing abuse or, or bullying. And if that's true for you, I'd suggest the first thing is to talk to someone about it so that you can get some help in being freed from that situation. In other words, I'm not lecturing you and telling you you must forgive in that situation. Now, this exercise of thinking about the person who has hurt us doesn't mean that we say, well, perhaps because I see where it came from, their own background, their situation, it can be excused. No, if the offence was severe, if it was a wrong, 
we've got to hold the understanding together with the pain. Because forgiveness has somehow got to hold together with truth and with justice. Forgiveness is not about excusing, condoning, or tolerating wrong. The reality of the offence has got to hold together with any empathy or understanding we can achieve for the offender. And getting to this place really is the agony, or can be. It's the struggle, because we're trying to align ourselves with the will of God who says, forgive those who sin against you. Love your enemies. It's not easy to do, is it? Someone has really hurt you. And depending on the scale of the hurt, it can take time to get to that place where forgiveness can start to emerge. That place where we can say, what happened to me was wrong. I understand how it happened, but I can let go of my anger. I give the gift of forgiveness, whether or not the offender is sorry. What can help us get there? Jesus didn't just understand Peter, he loved him. The people we love can, of course, inflict the worst pain, not, because, not just because they generally know what will hurt us, but because it matters more that it's them who have hurt us. That wound from a parent or a brother or a sister or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife, these are the wounds that can really shatter trust Betrayals that can damage our sense of safety, our sense of self, even. But they're also the, the wounds that love can help to heal. We hold on to the truth of our love for them. The other day I looked through some of my old diaries from my teenage years when my relationship with my father has to be said was not great. And I clearly, I've, I clearly vented all my rage in these diaries at what I, what I saw as his fault. I was quite shocked, actually, at some of the language I used. I thought, gosh, did I know those words then? <laughs> we, we came through all that because he was constant in his love for me. And in the end, I loved him too, even though he drove me bonkers. I now accept him for who he is. He's never going to vote Labour. He's never going to even accept that women should have the vote or drive. <laughs> and I trust that he has forgiven me for voting Remain. <laughs> and perhaps for some of the other things I said to him in the past when I thought he was a dictatorial misogynist. <laughs> Love covers over a multitude of offences. Do we forget the injury? There are some injuries that leave both physical and mental scars. But as we live on in our lives, our scars are our history. They needn't be our future. As Stephen Cherry says in this book, he says, forgiveness is how we live with that problem of irreversibility. You can't unsay things that you've said or things that others have said to you. Only God can completely forget our offences. We humans have to learn to accept one another and ourselves, along with all our failings and our scars. And Jesus and his forgiveness also remade Peter's future. He didn't, if you noticed in that reading, he didn't once mention the past. He looked ahead 
not backwards. He said, follow me. What if the other person isn't sorry? Can we forgive where there's no repentance or even where there's no relationship? Clearly it's harder. Often it's someone's repentance, their heartfelt apology that releases that, forgive, that forgiveness in us, that response that rebuilds our relationships, moves us forward. But our forgiveness can't be conditional or else we risk being bound into our resentment, even hatred, locked into an embittered relationship with a person who hurt us. I'm training at the moment for the, for the licensed lay ministry. It's kind of a rubber stamp of the C of E that you can preach. And last Tuesday, we had a peer preaching session, which we each gave a 10-minute sermon and got structured feedback on it. And one of my colleagues talked on the subject of a burglary she'd experienced just a few days before. It's broad daylight. She came home from picking the kids up from school and there were policemen at the door. So she immediately thought something awful had happened to her husband. When she realised it was only a burglary, she's actually quite relieved. But the thieves had taken quite a bit, jewellery and so on, and along with them, items that belonged to her dead father, irreplaceable, of huge sentimental value to her. So she described her anger and her resentment. Don't they know that stealing is wrong? Why don't they work instead of taking what others, other people have worked for? And she said, this lasted you know, two or three days. Then by chance, or perhaps not by chance, she heard the words from St. Paul. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, even burglars, in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And she thought, I am not going to allow this to separate me from the love of Christ. So even when our offenders aren't repentant, even when we don't know who they are, might have been burgled, we might have been mugged in the street, forgiveness is essential if we're not to cut ourselves off from the relationship of love. That's what it means to be Christian. Our love for one another, for God, and for those who don't love us. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If we don't forgive others or work towards making forgiveness possible, then we can't receive forgiveness from God because our hearts are closed. How on earth do we get there? Well, we're honest with ourselves. Some of us are naturally more easygoing. Some of us are naturally more brooders over offences. Know ourselves. Pray for the Holy Spirit to keep working on us and cultivating the Spirit's fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. This is the fruit that transforms us into people with loving and forgiving hearts. Ephesians says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Because we ourselves have got a great deal to gain from forgiveness. I don't mean just the forgiveness we receive, but the forgiveness we give. Almost more than the person we forgive, actually. You may, you know, if we've got no relationship, they may be totally unaware that we've forgiven them. When we forgive, we're no longer bound to our offender with that, those horrible, obsessive bonds of resentment replaying what they've done to us. 
We gift forgiveness by God's grace. And then we're no longer a victim. We're free to travel onwards on our pilgrim journey with Christ. We love because he first loved us. We forgive because he first forgave us. He welcomed us into the people of God. He gave us hope and a future. Let's pray. Lord God, we love because you first loved us. We forgive because you forgave us. You bought us at a price. And we ask that you would transform us into people with loving and forgiving hearts. That you would transform us into people with open hands to let go of resentment and to give that gift of forgiveness that we have received so richly. In Jesus' name, amen.